Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. All right, it's another film study. We're back in the flow of things. We had a game. Now we get to do break down the defense yesterday. Today we're going to break down the offense. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing all good down here. Uh, joining us this week is Gabe from the Situation Room. Gabe, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm, uh, I'm doing all good. And the Ravens... Let's just jump right into it. The Ravens put out, I guess, good news today as they put out a really large transaction report. Yes, very extensive now. So they've got six different categories of exchanges that they're making on one slide of transactions that they posted to Twitter. And this is so much to unpack. We're going to go through this and take a little bit of time. So, Gabe, uh, let's let's talk our way through this. Or, or, Josh, would you like to lead us through the thing? I mean, we can start with the activated from IR. So we got Averett and Chris Moore both activated. Okay, so that's the lone bit of really good news in this whole thing 
is that Anthony Averett, who's been out for a while, people have been talking about him being back, but I, I thought the injury might have been season-ending. And Chris Moore, who's been on for quite a while, valuable special teams player, they maybe even could use him at wide receiver now, are back. And, and I think that provides the Ravens some much-needed depth. Yeah, I think Averett in particular is going to be an important addition because Jimmy Smith has been banged up the past few weeks. Um, I think he has an, a groin issue now, and I think that his his potential to not be on the active roster on, on next Tuesday is, is very real, and having Averitt as a quality backup for him is, is quite important. Yeah, that would actually give the Ravens, I think, five quality corners, if you really talk about it, because I think Devontae Harris played very well. Uh, they got good play from Tremont Williams on the slot, especially rushing the quarterback, but also some of the things he did in coverage. And Anthony Averitt is another outside corner, the team continues to collect aircraft carriers and be short on slot corners at this point. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. I mean, they had guys like Dorsey and Bonds who they thought might potentially fit in there at slot, I think, but they didn't really show themselves very well when they were given the opportunity, and that's why you and see someone like hurt. Williams. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and then you brought in, bring in Williams, and he's played pretty well in that role. Yeah. Okay, so we, you, you do, when you play the Steelers, you need two slot corners. Against most teams, you only need one slot corner, but you do really need a backup. So it's the kind of thing where Humphrey has been doing that role, really would like to see Humphrey playing primarily on the outside. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, he has been good in the slot, but he's better outside for sure. We've seen Averett at times in the slot, but he's mostly played on the outside as well. So I think it's pretty much going to be Williams in there um, in an ideal situation, unless you go with Averitt as the outside guy across from Peters with Humphrey in the slot as your, as your three top corners. We'll have to see how Williams fits in there. Right. They've, they've, uh, I think he's a backup outside corner at this point, Averitt. And it, we'll see how it, we'll, we will see how it fits in. But I, that would be my guess as to how this plays out. All right. Uh, go ahead, Josh. Yeah, so I was going to go next up. We've got, and this is probably the most intriguing on this chart, uh, because it's our first time seeing some guys come off the COVID-19 list. So we've got Dobbins, McPhee, McCary, and Skura back right now. So a couple of things I take from this. First of all, great to have some additional offensive line depth back. The offensive line, as we're going to get into a little bit, had a lot of problems in this game. And having two linemen who can each give you something and, and really question about where they play uh, is a positive thing. Pernell McPhee back, huge addition for the defense. He's one of the four big names uh, that's still out there with Brandon Williams, Calais Campbell, and Matthew Judon. Still various cases of IR or COVID-19. I guess they're, too, they're, they're all technically COVID uh, cases right now. Or did Brandon Williams? Brandon Williams got activated from COVID, didn't he? He did. He, he did, he, yeah. yeah. He was practicing today. Right, but he wasn't, wasn't he one of the contact Tracer is not someone with COVID, I believe. I, I, think, I think you're correct, but the point was that he's already cleared any protocols related to that. So it's, yes. he's down to an injury is what's really holding him out. And unfortunately, we don't have timing on that, as we don't know on any injury, of course. And that, right. We, we never know with injuries. But with COVID, we're, now, we're also kind of just trying to figure out how this all works because we've been told 10 days. But we know it's not really 10 days because then they got to have some time with trainers to get back out on the field. Yeah, and, and Josh, you had some really interesting comments about this in the production meeting. But the, the, we start with the point that J.K. Dobbins, 10 days were up on game day, and presumably at 1230 he could have been activated. Now, maybe that meant 
that he had to start his trainer time on Sunday, or maybe, uh, sorry, on Wednesday, or he just wasn't ready to play on Wednesday, which I think most Ravens fans assumed. Would you agree with that, Gabe? I think so. I think that they they didn't really want to push it. You know, he was probably available, but he hadn't practiced, obviously. He had been on the COVID list with a positive case. Um, apparently, he was mostly asymptomatic, but um, I, I think for the case of someone who hasn't practiced for a while, he's been outside the facility, I think it's best just to kind of not, you know, put him in a situation that wasn't going to be a good situation for anybody, really, in that game, which we'll talk about later. Right. Well, here's here's what... I draw from this is that not it's not as important for J.K. Dobbins because this game is gone and we can't go back. But J.K. Dobbins is now activated to practice at day 12 because it's 10 for to game day plus two days now at, on Friday that he's practicing. If that same logic were followed, then Jackson could play against Dallas. And Josh, you made the point in the production meeting that perhaps those three training days actually overlap by a day with the 10 COVID days. Right, right. Now, and that's, but we also know that even national media and stuff and ESPN were talking about the potential of Dobbins flying to Pittsburgh on game day and stuff. So no one, I think, really knows how this works. And I was looking up the NFL official policy, which says for asymmetric players, 10 days have, pa- have to be passed since the initial positive, and you have to have five days pass uh, since an initial positive test, and two consecutive negative tests are completed with separated from 24 hours among each other. Then you need to be approved by the team physician. If you're symptomatic, 10 days have to pass since the first symptoms appear, you have to wait at least 72 hours until the last symptoms occur, and then you need to be approved by the team physician and the NFL chief medical officer. But there's no two consecutive tests uh, separated by 24 hours in that case? If you're, I think if you're symptomatic, they assume you have it and just wait out the 10 days. No, but they, they still there's would no, have... There's no, there's no negative test required if you have symptoms and then they go away. Hmm. Interesting. That I I wonder if the test is just testing for antibodies then because it's well it must okay. be something. I don't. And again, this is also because they ride that line of it being medical and not wanting to disclose things. So the close contacts can return after a second negative test within 24 hours of the first negative test. Now, Gabe, I know you're. What's your PhD in, Gabe? It's in uh, molecular biology. So it's it's not medicine, but. I am you, pretty familiar with these things. <laughs> okay, that's what I was going to say. Let's let's yeah, let yeah, the right. guy on the show who really knows try and give us his opinion on this because you should, you I would think you're the most informed on this. Yeah, so it, it sounds a little strange that there wouldn't be a negative test required for someone who was symptomatic. I think the length of the symptomatic period and the period in which you can actually be contagious is variable. So I think you would have to have a negative test in any case if you've tested positive. And it would make sense that you have to have two negative tests because it's possible that it would be a false negative, um, especially for somebody who was carrying a large viral load and was symptomatic. I was just going to ask that. Do they have any way of testing for viral load in a symptomatic person at this point? That I'm not sure about. Um, I do know that 
you can test the number of antibodies like you mentioned and someone who was had a very strong um, viral load would probably have more of an antibody reaction so you could look at that and see if there's a higher amount um, but i'm not sure if that's something that the nfl is testing for okay gabe gabe is a late addition to the guest spot here and uh, just a, a terrific issue. You are perfect for this discussion. This is completely <laughs> by, at, at, by accident this happened, but very happy to have you on, Gabe. Let's, let's keep going with the list here. So Dobbins and McPhee, McCary, Skura, all could presumably play by, for Dallas. They'd be big additions to the Ravens. Right. All right, then uh, we sent one to the injured reserve list, which was RG3, went to the list today. It's amazing he's not out for the year or we didn't hear it based on the really vicious low roughing the passer that wasn't flagged on the pick six but uh i'm not bitter about that or anything you probably can tell from oh we'll we'll get to a few of those items today i'm sure (laughs) when we break down the game yeah but it's a it's a significant loss for the ravens i don't think people should minimize this just because robert griffin didn't play well against the steelers this is a guy who potentially could have helped them manage a game against dallas and help them win if the defense again played at a high level. Right. Yeah, sure. And on speaking of other things that could have changed the game, we have signed Luke Wilson to the active roster now. Yeah, tough tough play in the end zone. We'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, he, I, I don't know whether he's actually had used both his practice squad call-ups. This may have been a case where the Ravens feared losing him to another team and activated him because I think he, he would have likely had a COVID call-up this week. I don't think they used any practice squad call-ups because they had so many applicable COVID cases. So you wouldn't have, you would have thought that he could have been a call-up. Uh, uh, they wouldn't have had to activate him after this game. But now that now, probably some other team has interest and they they've decided to make it permanent. Well, or whether or not they do, we really need tight ends on this team, and yeah, it's absolutely. a hard process to bring someone in now because of the COVID restrictions. If someone gets hurt. Well, very much so, Josh, but my point is that if you have a free elevation allowed for the guy, maybe they've already yes. planned to use all their elevations, but if you have a free elevation, the Ravens have free COVID elevations beyond that, um, there wouldn't be a need to activate the guy to the active roster unless somebody else really had interest in him. Right, and that's why I was, but that's also why I was surprised that they signed Des Bryant yes. this past week because we had plenty of COVID spots that they could have toyed with him some more. Yeah, good point. Um, all right, uh, we also signed three guys to the practice squad, and now I figure out why you're making me read this list, so I have to pronounce these names. <laughs> I'll, I'll take care of it, Josh. Uh, you, can, you can take them if you okay, want. Okay, so running back Tommy Bohannon, uh, that's a very minor signing. Obviously, Tyson Williams uh, came off the practice squad, was elevated, and didn't get any playing time in this game. Uh, Parker Yinger is a player we've seen before play uh, right tackle. He actually split time at right guard with powers in the week 17 game against the Steelers last year didn't play particularly well but he's a guy who uh you know obviously is has some NFL experience and then defensive tackle Braxton Hoyt that's a position where the Ravens are very thin I'm glad they signed another defensive lineman because they're always seeming to be on the on the very brink of disaster in that group yeah the defensive tackle position has been really really decimated this year between Williams being out for a number of games. Campbell, obviously, has been a huge loss for a number of games. Uh, Wolf has been out a few times. Matabike missed, you know, four games at the beginning of the season. It's just you haven't had the entire roster pretty much the entire entire year at that position. Broderick Washington in this last game suffered a concussion, so we don't know if he's going to be back for the next game. So 
uh, obviously a lot of a lot of uh, churning going on there, and the Ravens really need another body very badly. Yep, and then the final announcement, speaking of bodies, is losing a practice squad player to the injured reserve, which is Sean Calkin. And, and Culkin was activated for this game. I thought he did a reasonably uh, good job blocking on the edge in this game. Each of the tight ends did some good blocking in this game. Uh, uh, Tomlinson, Wilson, and Culkin each saw time, and I thought that Culkin uh, was one of them who, who did some decent blocking on the edge in this game. Yeah, I agree. Culkin, I mean, he's not much of a threat in the passing game. Um, I don't know if he was targeted maybe once, um, but he definitely, you know, he did a decent job, I think, in, in a pretty tough matchup for him playing against some of the you know the, the Steelers linebacker core which is a pretty good core for them yep. zero targets for Culkin by the way just looked it up only only Wilson had, had any targets he had two with no catches yeah. all right well right before we get into this past game which I feel like it's going to be a lot looking there and then a lot looking forward some more because that's just kind of nature of this shortened week I want to tell you about my bookie once again because they're still on board, still supporting film study. So we want you guys to get involved with my bookie as well. Whether you're a first-time customer or have been playing my bookie for years, there's no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. Make the right play and sign up over at my bookie. And when you do, use the promo code Ravens to get your deposit matched halfway all the way up to 1000 bucks, The terms are simple. If you put in $200, they'll match you with another $100 in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season at MyBookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. Use that code RAVENS because you get that matching offer, and then they know that you came from Film Study. All right, great. Take advantage of that 50% offer, please, folks. Okay, well, let's move on and talk about this game a little bit. And, and you know, this is one of these games, Gabe, that there just is not a whole lot to discuss on the offense. They only played 49 plays, for starters. You know, what are you going to take, particularly in terms of an analysis of either Griffin or McSorley, in terms of looking forward? Griffin's already hurt. McSorley, if he plays against Dallas, is not going to be a good thing. We know that. What's you know? What do you take from this game for starters in terms of the depth of analysis you want to even provide for it? Yeah, you're right. It's really hard to take too much from this game. Be, I mean, for, first of all, there was what one practice they had for ten days leading up to it, so they Walk couldn't really think, install. Right? Yeah. yeah, they couldn't really install much of an offensive game plan. Of course, you also had what half your starters out, so it's it's really just a skeleton crew. They're not playing. They're many of their playmakers that you would have out there um, in a number of positions and they're playing against a really tough defense. So it, it's kind of like the, the worst possible combination of, of things going together. So, you know, maybe you look at a few players and kind of isolate them and see how they performed and see if there's a role for them as the season progresses. That's pretty much the only thing that I can take out of this game. Yeah. I mean, it, they, the Ravens just, in addition to having gotten through the COVID, the Ravens just made it through a five game stretch of by far the most difficult of the season. They went one and four, which is not good because it's a, t- a test of metal against playoff opponents, frankly, and they didn't fare well. 
you know, it, certainly in terms of the loss of the Titans was was very disappointing. But just to play in general, losing the Steelers the first time disappointing. Uh, they needed to do better than than what they did here. The good thing is they didn't get blown out in any of these games. Only the Chiefs have blown them out this year, and they've otherwise they've they've hung in there with everybody. Uh, largely a, a focus on the defense, but sometimes the offense in games like New England, where they uh, you know didn't didn't do everything right on defense, wore down a little bit. They still uh, you know put it together offensively enough to stay in the ball game. Yeah, I think that's definitely one thing that you can take away is that they're, they're not a team that's quitting. You know, they go out there every single drive on defense. They try to put stops they get the ball back to the offense on offense. They're definitely, you know, doing everything they can. They're not giving up. They're still trying to put points on the board. And that's something that I think you want to see. Um, obviously, like you said, the games haven't gone according to plan. They're, they've been in the games at the very end. They've had opportunities, I think, to win almost every one of these games. Um, so it's a little disappointing that they weren't able to make the plays necessary. But I do think that, you know, the fact that they are still hanging around, they're in every one of these games, I think that's a positive thing to um, you can latch on to moving forward. Right. And the other thing coming out of these five weeks is they played Roethlisberger twice, Rivers during this period, Tannehill, who was, was very effective in terms of you did. Cam Newton was a guy who the, the conditions were so sloppy, it was difficult to get the pass rush going. But these next five games we should see the Ravens' pass rush as good as it can be because they're, they're placing some very poor and non-cohesive December defensive lines from some of the worst teams in the NFL. They don't play anybody with about a, a DeVoe rating over 22nd, I think, 23rd the rest of the year, uh, with the Browns included in that group. By the way, I don't know if you saw this. The Browns have the lowest DeVoe in the history of DeVoe <laughs> uh, for teams that are 8-3. and three. They wow. have a, neg- a negative 9.5% DeVoe, which is, which is quite bad for a team that's 8-3 and three at the time. So, you know, a lot of people, I, I do look at the Browns and say that's a somewhat scary team in terms of the size of their offense and defensive lines. But in truth, uh, they, they do not have a lot going for them in terms of, uh, of uh, positive qualities. Yeah, as far as the Browns go, they have one player that they've been missing, which is Miles Garrett. He's the guy who you really have to watch out for um, on their defense. And then they have the two running backs who who just make plays, and they're hard to bring down, and they have a solid offensive line that blocks for them. So that's really the strength of their team. Um, but if you can, you know, make Mayfield make some mistakes and, and expose their secondary, I think you can definitely beat them. Right, it's the offense and defensive line where the Browns won that game pretty decisively in Week One. They really beat the Ravens in the in the line versus line play, and somehow they lost the game thirty-eight to six, which is a result you almost never see. But it, it it is the thing I fear about the Cleveland Browns. It's not anything, honestly. The running backs, while above average, I think Hunt has actually been a, a minor disappointment in terms of what he's provided. Chubb has always been pretty good. He's been hurt a little bit. But, but the point of the fact of the matter is, if you have an offensive line that good, you really should be able to run the football. Uh, and, and you should be able to do what the Ravens have done the last few years, is do it with a collection of journeymen who can come in and, and play, You know whether it's Edwards or Collins or whoever. If you've got a pretty good offensive line, you can run the football no matter what. That's definitely the case. And you know I think they have a pretty good scheme. And one of the things I saw from them, even with a good offensive line, Nick Chubb has something like 4.0 yards after contact. So he's making plays wow. even after, you know, he's getting yards from what the offensive line is blocking for him. He's just been an, a really, really good player for them. If he hadn't been knocked up 
earlier, uh, knocked out for a couple of games. I think he might be in the conversation as you know leading the, the NFL in rushing yards right now. Yeah. Okay, we got a little bit tangential here because the point I was making was the Ravens have five games coming up where they ought to be playing uh, lines and quarterbacks. In the case of Cleveland, it's mostly about the quarterback, upon which pressure should be effective, where they've played five weeks in a row here, which is being like through a desert for this pass rush in terms of having to come up with modest scheme games that are, is very unnatural for Martindale. I mean, he's, he's good about moving from game plan to game plan, appropriate to the opponent, but he would much prefer to be playing with scheme and giving his island corners better opportunities to make plays off pressure. Yeah, 100% agreed. I think this season has been somewhat of a deviation from what we'd expect from from Martindale and I think it's been because largely of of the teams that they've played and the the quarterbacks and the offensive lines that they've been going against and they haven't had the opportunity to really unleash his 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 kind of chaos that he likes to play and we have all these blitz blizzes coming from all over the place and um, I think down the stretch that's definitely something we're going to see more because in the games where we have seen the Ravens blitz a lot. It's been against the teams with, you know, lower tier quarterbacks, lower tier offensive lines, and it's been really effective. All right. I think time probably to get to talking about the offense from this game. And I think the one thing that people do want to hear about it is the offensive line play, because that's something that uh, has some significant bearing going forward. While the other, the other elements related to quarterback play do not necessarily, but we'll start with the offensive line play. So I'm going to go through one at a time. Uh, here, Actually, let's talk about in general. They had 49 total scored snaps in the game, three penalties for 25 yards, one false start that was on Bredesen, two offensive holds on Fluker. Two of the three sacks, as I scored it, were charged to the offensive line. One of them was a case where Edwards actually, I think, blocked the wrong guy. Uh, Phillips blocked inside. That's normally the tackle's responsibility. And they left T.J. Watt a clear uh, line on the quarterback, which was an unfortunate mistake, but uh, it was what it was. They had two other quarterback hits all allowed by the offensive line again. Uh, I made the point that I think JJ TJ Watt should have for sure been called for a, a low roughing the passer hit on the pick six. Yeah, if Pernell McPhee got called for that roughing the passer exactly. was two weeks ago against the Titans, which was not as late as Watt's hit, and it wasn't as low as Watt's hit, but it definitely was not flat the same way from Watt. So that's just some of those discrepancies that the Ravens have faced this year and in, in the penalties. It seems like they've been targeted for these roughing the passer penalties. It's just, it's just absurd. I'm, I'm, I'm so upset about it. Now, they called a ticky-tack roughing the passer penalty on Cam Hayward later in the game. Of course the magnitude of the importance of that play was far, far lower than reversing a pick six, which is about as big a roughing the passer flag as you can have. So uh, that was, by the way, the first roughing the passer called on a Ravens opponent all season. Ravens had previous to this game been 5-0, and and they're now 5-1 uh, and one or 6-1. and one. Did the Ravens have a roughing the passer on, uh, on Roethlisberger? They didn't get to him quickly enough, I don't think, to, to have one in this game. So that was the first call on the Ravens anyway, on the Ravens opponents. Okay, also, only 21 dropbacks. So when we look at this, three sacks is bad for 21 dropbacks. Two additional quarterback hits is bad for 21 dropbacks. Attached on six additional pressures that were not either of those. Again, very bad for 21 dropbacks. The consistent theme here is that the offensive line did not have a very good game at all. Uh, They gave... McSorley and Griffin ATS, amazingly, on seven of 21 plays. But that means on the other 14, they were really converting their pressure opportunities very effectively. Yeah, I I definitely think this was a game that 
like I said before, it was not a good situation. A offensive line that's makeshift. You're going against one of the best front fours in the NFL, and you have a backup quarterback who is probably not going to be quite as quick where he needs to go with the ball. Um, and I think all those converge together into a really ugly offensive performance. In in the finance world, a lot of people would be tempted to call this a perfect storm. But the problem is, in finance, we've had about 11 perfect storms in the last 20 years. So we don't really want to – I hate using that anymore. I don't know if you run into people who say that. Maybe Jordan would be a guy who works in that <laughs> field and would uh, would tell that a lot. Uh, anyway, let's talk about player-by-player. Orlando Brown had another solid game. Obviously, he's got a tough speed opponent in Bud Dupree, a little bit smaller guy who would be the kind of player who should give him about as much trouble as any because he challenges him to use his length to push him by the pocket. Brown did a really good job in this game with 12 to 6 blocks, meaning blocking Dupree around the edge of the pocket without letting him get good pressure. Two pressures only allowed, uh, which is frankly a hell of a day at left tackle for anybody, including Ronnie Stanley. Uh, He missed five blocks. The one thing that I keep noticing about his play is that he has a lot of trouble contributing on run plays uh, when he has to go to level two and the play is to the offside, where Stanley could usually make something happen, or even when pulling. Uh, And they've used a lot of this counter uh, action where they have two guys, the left guard and the left tackle, pulling on the same play. And it's been hard for Brown to really make a meaningful block on those. He went two for five on his pulls. Yeah, he seems to not really have an idea as to who he's supposed to be blocking. Like, he's kind of like, on a couple of those plays, he runs through a hole, like he's a lead block, and then where do I go? Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's one of them where I think he got upended by a defender. He, yes. You know, was, <laughs> um, he, he seems it like It was he's actually a, a very effective block, that block, by the way. It was on, that was on the 40-yard run by Griffin or yeah. 39, whatever it was. But, uh, so he but took yeah, the defender out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it, was, it was a little humorous. I, I'm glad that he was able to get up and look healthy after that because I was like oh no please not another injury but you know overall I thought he's played a really good job at at left tackle filling in for Stanley um this was another game where he he was solid I think he's been very solid all year and you know he's someone that I've been praising um in a pretty difficult situation he stepped right up yeah I, I I completely agree he's been he has been the rock uh, now for this line these these last few weeks, that's for certain. Um, Bradley Bozeman had the worst game in over a year. Now, he had a very tough assignment with Cam Hayward, but Cam Hayward brings out the worst in the two guys that he spent some time going against. Now, as a three-tech, most of his action is directly uh, him on the, on the left guard on that side. And so Bozeman had that very difficult assignment, gave up one and a third sacks. Bozeman has not given up many sacks, by the way. Um, in, in the last year, but 1.5 pressures, missed seven blocks in just 49 snaps. Those are all bad totals. What he did is he went 13 for 17 on pulls. But this is where Bradley Bozeman cannot catch a break. Those 17 times he pulling, his most frequent pulling assignment was to block TJ Watt on the other side. And Watt has a lot of quickness in addition to, to being a, you know, a, a violent-handed uh, you know, large guy, but he's a lot of quickness, and and he gave Bozeman some trouble in that. But thirteen out of seventeen on pulls was the was the good thing you'd you'd pull from Bozeman's game in in this case. Yeah, he's been pretty good, I think, this year. This game was not his best, as you as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, he really got beat up by Ham- Hayward. Um, he's the guy that he, he pulls a lot. Like that's what the Ravens use him for. He's he's basically the linchpin of, of their offense with like those counters you're talking about with like the pit and pull kind of um, offense that they're doing. Um, 
And, you know, he's not the most athletic guard in the world, but he does a pretty good job of it. Unlike Brown, he seems to know how to, you know, connect with his target and do a pretty good job of sealing them most times when he gets there. Um, it's, it's probably, you know, the biggest contribution that he has in the Ravens offense. He's a decent pass blocker. He's not the best at that. I think this game was definitely an instance where he, where he got, you know, handled pretty well. Um, but I, I think for the most part this season, he has played above average as a, as a pass blocker. Yeah, I, I agree. He's been very good really since about week six of last year, been extremely consistent in terms of his play. And one of the things uh, you know, one of the things that really shows up against a player like Hayward is he's a short arm guy, Bozeman has, and when he's pulling, it doesn't show up nearly as much. Obviously, he's a, he's a huge man coming. It's very hard at speed and at distance for a even a lengthy pass rusher to impact first contact the way he can at the line of scrimmage. When he's first contact at the line of scrimmage with a guy like Cam Hayward, who's fairly long-armed, then he's going to be at a significant disadvantage. And both he and a few instances with Tristan Colon Castillo really showed a short-armed uh, uh, guard or center having trouble. And, and Hayward has just an unbelievable ability to dictate that first contact, get the other arm over quickly, and all of a sudden he's by it and the lineman doesn't know what's happened. Yeah, that length um, of, of the really the elite interior defensive lineman is a problem for, for guards and centers who don't have that length because it just allows them to extend and, and really move by them quickly with a quick rip or a, a up and under. And, and it's something that we saw, you know, Bozeman get beat really quickly in a couple of times and, and that mm-hmm. led to the sacks right off right off the snap, probably like less than two seconds and he and he was oh, beaten. Yeah. That's the kind of sack that you just can't really do anything about if you're the quarterback. All right. So I do want to make this point is that Bozeman scored an F, uh, graded out to be an F in this game. But his raw score uh, came out to be, let me, let me get my pad here and I'll have this correct, was 0.63 with after an adjustment. I give him almost the maximum adjustment, 0.08 uh, of 0.10. But that's 0.63. You need a 0.67 to pass. Why is that important? He, he's a high F. That's a high F grade. <laughs> I, I call that not a fall-off-the-table F game there. And unfortunately, we had a couple of those on the right side we're going to get to in a moment. The big one that everybody wants to talk about, though, is Tristan Colon Casillo. Playing his first NFL game, had a lot of problems at center with, with uh, a variety of players, frankly. But so at Skur, obviously, had some problems with the snap. Uh, Colon Castillo was okay. Uh, allowed one penetration, one quarterback hit. He missed five blocks. He did have the arm length issue that I mentioned, you know, when we're talking about Bozeman. Uh, He gets a low C in his first game. Frankly, as far as my grading system goes, when I've seen centers or first-time offensive linemen perform at that sort of level, it's usually a very good sign. It usually means there's growth that's very much possible from that point, certainly his first pro game. I don't grade him on the curve. I'll just say that if you project from this point, I think there's growth to be had in this player. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why the Ravens have kept him around. You know, they, they brought him up early in the season off the practice squad to the active roster, likely because they didn't want to lose him. They know that they had someone who they wanted to develop, which they've done with a lot of offensive linemen. They have, you know, he's got good size. I think he's decently athletic. He doesn't look like he's very slow of foot. Um, so I think that he's someone that the Ravens think could potentially be, if not a starter, a high quality backup for them for, for several years. Right. And I think this gives them options after the season. So they're, they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do about Matt Skura. They're going to have to figure out if McCary fits into their plans. And if so, where? Because that's still, I think, a question. 
the one thing I'm a little f- afraid of is that the Ravens are really, if they get away from Skura and they go to McCarry and uh, Colon Castillo, that's two extremely short-handed, short-armed players. And if you add Ben Bredis into that group, that is a group that is a group ready to be exploited by length in the middle of that offensive line. And I really, I'm not keen on that. I, I you know, I, I, a lot of people accuse me of being too arm length dependent in terms of offensive line analysis, but I'll tell you, you just can't have everybody be short-armed. It's okay to have Bozeman, you know, sitting in there and doing a lot of the pulling for the team if he's among other players who have normal length. It's not okay if everybody on the interior has, has you know, very short arms. Yeah, I think that's a good point because there's a lot of really good defensive tackles in the league who are more of these kind of, you know, lengthy guys, like like your DeForest Buckners, like like mm-hmm. the Cam Haywards, you know, Tyson Alu-Alu, um, there's a number of players like that, and those are really the most disruptive, I think, players yeah. in terms of their interior pass rush. And if you have someone who is not going to be able to match up with them in terms of the arm length and be able to lock out and you know hold them at bay, it's going to be a difficult situation because they're going to have one-on-ones at times. There's no way to completely remove that. Teams scheme up their guys on the middle to have those situations. And if you can't have somebody who can consistently, or at least most of the time, win those battles as an offensive lineman, it's going to be a problem. And you mentioned two Steelers, and the third Steeler, who has the best length of them all, Stephon Tuitt, was not Absolutely. even active. And so, yeah. Okay, anyway, enough on that. But Castillo, uh, you know, very solid. I, I would encourage people, don't grade offensive linemen on the curve. Don't say this was a great performance because of A and B and C and D, and he didn't have practice, and he didn't have preseason, and he didn't have any previous game action. It's a good starting point, period, but it's not a, it wasn't a great game by any means in terms of Colin Castillo. All right, let's move on. Ben Powers. People want to hear about him. Now, Ben Powers, this is only his second full game of NFL action. His first game was marred, a pretty good blocking game. Otherwise, it was marred by penalties. This game, I scored him very highly. I need to go back and watch the All-22 again because I saw that uh, other sources have him tagged with a hurry and I do not so I looked at it and I have him scored with 49 plays 44 blocks with five misses in a and uh you know if you look at his season so far all of his downgrades basically or almost all of them have come from penalties he's out only three and a half pressures in 173 snaps nothing worse than that and I don't see how anybody but him is the right guard. Now, they have a lot of options coming back. They have McCarry coming back. They have Skura coming back. You know, Will Holden could come back and, and Fluker could move inside or Phillips could move back to the position. I don't think any of those guys has outplayed powers at this point. I, I, I challenge anybody to explain to me why he would not be the right guard going forward. It's a good question. And it might get back to that question of length you had because when you have someone like Tyree Phillips, he does have that length. He has that size. Mm-hmm. Um, he might be considered to be a better pass blocker. I don't think he's a better run blocker than, than Powers. So that's something that could be considered depending on how the Ravens decide to present themselves as an offensive team in, in the second half. Do they want to be more power football focused? You probably want to go with Powers. If you're going to be more finesse and passing it more, you might want to consider putting Phillips in there at right guard. Um, but I think that's something that you know, the coaches will will take a look at and see who's better in, in what role. And maybe they'll do something where they where they do some, you know, someone comes in for a few series and the other one comes in for another next few series. Yeah, I've I've been projecting that honestly for these next couple of weeks is that they have so much 
um, mid-level talent, you know, basically C talent in the middle of the offensive line that they really need to kind of rotate in order to get a get a better read on what exactly they have. And it may not even be that. It may be that they actually derive a benefit from having rested linemen going against tired defensive linemen as the game goes on. So you may have a benefit there. I will say this, that did not work at right tackle in this game with the exchange between Fluker and uh, and Phillips, who was, you know, Fluker was in, then out, then back in and didn't perform well either time. It's, it's TJ Watt. I'm okay with that. Um, but but Phillips was only in for 19 snaps, basically in the middle of this game, and looked terrible. And we'll talk about those two guys really quickly. Fluker, 30 snaps, had one pressure, one quarterback hit, and two holding flags. Uh, his hands are just way out the frame, outside the frame, play after play. Part of that is a function of having some of the longest arms in the entire NFL, 36 and three-quarter inches. Um, that makes it difficult for him to stay inside the frame. I'm going to say this. It's also not natural for him to be inside the frame. He's just, it's not how he dictates contact. And he ends up bear hugging these opposing linemen, making it so easy. And while he was called for two holding calls, and I thought one of them was kind of ticky-tack, he was called, he was not called for another that was really bad. So they got the right number of holding calls on Fluker in this game, at least I think so. But uh, but Fluker's a problem. He's very challenged in terms of where he keeps his hands. The other thing with Fluker that bothers me is he's what I think someone in the scouting community would call him a waist bender. He, he doesn't bend in the knees. He doesn't get into that athletic posture and he leans forward. And that kind of allows him to get out of position all the times and forces him to kind of grasp, I think, with his arms as opposed to having a centered, balanced position where he can, you know, still, um, you know, strike with his hands and, you know, provide a, a block that way. But he doesn't have that natural kind of athletic ability to to really stay in, in a, that neutral base. And I think that's where a lot of his problems stem from. You know, that's a great point. And, and if you look at Calais Campbell on the other side of the ball, he does all sorts of things to get low and stay low. But he'll, he's the first to tell you, in fact, there's a great offseason video about this, about how when he has not played well, it's because he gets too high. And he'll try all sorts of things. He'll line up a half a yard or a yard off the ball to try and get a low running start into that offensive lineman where he can dictate that first contact with his extraordinary length. Fluker has that ability. If it's a run play and you want a good run block with a guy who, who you know, can lean into that block and, and, and really move somebody, certainly dictate the contact that will twist somebody and let somebody else take over that block, Fluker is that guy. He, he, and that's why I think that they still had hopes that he would be a good guard for this team. But you're right that, that it's not normal. And when in particular in terms of pass blocking, not bending at the, at the knees is a very bad thing. It's, it's, you know, it's something you need to do regularly as you're, as you're getting a, a, a solid base. And one of, the, one of the things with Fluker that I think is the positive is he's he's good at what I would call drive blocking, where he can just move the guy in front mm -hmm. of him. But if, if he has to actually be mobile, um, that's where you don't where you lose him. He's not good on his feet. He doesn't have good feet, um, and he and he has like a he can move someone directly in front of him, but he's not going to be able to be athletic and, and find somebody on on the move. Yeah, I agree with that. And and the, you know in your offensive line play, you need a mix of guys. You need a mix of guys who can actually move people because the Ravens, honestly, are fairly short on that, or they have been. You know, if they always need to get a double team to get any kind of movement, that's a bad thing. Okay. And, if, and the, the other thing that I would say is that a lot of the mobility required of Fluker is not 
really difficult mobility when Jackson is at quarterback. And we talked about this a lot with Orlando Brown last year, but they ask him to down block on the defensive tackle as opposed to trying to pick up a wily defensive end or outside linebacker and then move up not a full level into level two to make a block, but often a seal block on that scraping inside linebacker to keep that hole open. Kind of like, I usually talk about the right guard opening the front gate uh, uh, or the you know the pulling player you know helping with that, but Fluker is very very significant in that operation if the guard is blocking to the inside and not to the outside. So anyway, I, the, the Ravens' offense is built in a way that he should be able to take advantage of Fluker tackle on run plays. It's really I would agree Fluker on pass plays that's been the really big problem this year. Yeah, that's that's definitely the case. He's I think he's a decent enough run blocker that you can put him out there and and still run some positive plays with him but if you have to drop back 30 40 times a game he's going to be a huge liability for you all right let's move on to phillips because uh, you know tyree phillips came back and we we were projecting on this show that that he was likely given the large number of covid in and outs to be a guy that they would have to use as a backup tackle in this game and not reinstall at guard. I think the fact that Ben Powers played this game over Phillips is probably an indication that he's going to still have the job ahead of Phillips this next week. Now, he has other competition. McCary could come back and take it from him. You know, there's, there's, he has other people he has to, has to beat out for that job, but I think that he, there's an indication that he's already beaten out Phillips for the job. And I think if the plan was hey, maybe we've got an offensive tackle who can help us the rest of the year if Phillips can look good there in practice and maybe play well in a game. I think that plan didn't work out. So I'm not sure exactly where they plan to use Phillips the rest of the year, but I'm thinking it's more likely to be at guard than at tackle. Yeah, I think that's accurate. When I when I look at Phillips and just in terms of his body, I think he's a more natural offensive tackle than he is an offensive guard. Um, he has long arms. He has good size. I think he's 6'5". Um, but... On the other hand, he doesn't have the feet, really, to play tackle. And I think that's why the Ravens, you know, when they drafted him, drafted him as a guard. They announced him as a guard, even though if you looked at most draft websites, he was listed as a tackle. So I, th- I think that's why the Ravens... For the ones standing guard. For the eagle-eyed. For the knights in shining armor. And for all those who support them. We are Granger, your experienced safety partner. Offering supplies and solutions for every industry. Committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com slash safety or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Do your part to reduce waste and recycle right. Many of us are ordering more items, such as food and other goods, delivered to our homes. More packages means more waste. Consolidate smaller orders into one larger order to reduce waste. When shopping in person, bring a reusable bag. Recycle right by keeping plastic bags, foam containers, rechargeable batteries, and garden hoses out of your recycling bin. Learn more at GoRecycle.org. Brought to you by City of Fairfax, Arlington County, Loudoun County, and Prince George's County put him there and started him there um, from week one until he got hurt it's because he doesn't necessarily have that those feet to be able to shuffle and and you know be good in pass protection he's also not a good run blocker so if you have him at right tackle you're not really getting any benefit from him there yeah so you're saying you want him in the phone booth at right guard as a pass blocker which i'm not going to say that's a that's a completely limited role that actually that arm length should really help him at right guard uh, in the run blocking game, but if he can only be a good pass blocker, that does limit what he can do within the Ravens' offense. 
I think for this year, that's definitely the case. I think moving forward, he might be able to move and improve his his run blocking. I think that's a skill that's it's, that's more of a technique thing um, and can be learned. Um, I, but I do think that in the phone booth, like you're talking about, in interior, um, with his length, with his size, he has a better anchor than some of the other interior Ravens um, offensive linemen. All right. Let's go. Let's move on. Ben Bredesen got 10 snaps in this game, and he only had a handful of snaps before this game, but he made all 10 blocks, looked very good doing it, frankly. Three blocks in level two, good mobility, like that. He did have a false start, which basically negated the value of all of that, but it's still a, uh, this is the kind of game, obviously you wouldn't want a guy who plays 60 snaps and has six false starts. You'd know that was a bad game, so you should know that one false start in 10 plays, even if you make all 10 blocks, is not acceptable, but it's it's a, uh, it's a performance which certainly has leading indicators that are positive for what he can bring you, at least as a sixth offensive lineman. Yeah, I thought he acquitted himself really well in that role um, as kind of that jumbo package offensive lineman, um, tight end in, in reality. Um, he, I thought he moved well. I thought he connected on his blocks well. Um, I think he's someone who could potentially play on the interior if you need him at, at right guard. Um, I think, you know, Powers clearly has the the leg up the foot up on him as it as of now but you know he might be someone who could be given that opportunity at some point because i think he has you know decent size um maybe he doesn't have quite the strength um being a rookie that uh, someone like powers who's been in the league for an extra year has he has probably a little more size over over breedson but overall i was impressed um i think that there's definitely a role for him in the offense moving forward especially with the ravens lack of tight ends Bredesen, first percentile arm length for his... That's bad, folks. That's not 100th percentile for his... For, we have to explain sometimes. But, but for, for his uh, size. So that's really the issue for him. I think his, his future is eventually at center. But a sixth offensive lineman makes sense. He's also a very smart guy. Now, we already had a very smart guy who did not work out in John Urschel. But, but Bredesen could be a smart guy who actually wants to stay playing football and, and would be better. So uh, hopefully that'll... Uh, you know, he's a player who I think would, will naturally gravitate to that position over time. We didn't mention on this show Will Holden coming back, but his return now seems more important than ever, given the terrible play at right tackle in this game. Yeah, it's going to be interesting what the Ravens do at, at right tackle moving forward, because I think, as we talked about, nobody in this game impressed. Um, I think Makari has looked pretty good at right tackle. He's someone you might be able to start there, but... Holden is probably the other player who's done the best job. So I think it's between those two as a starting right tackle moving forward. Um, you know, we've seen Fluker play more than I think anybody would like to see. So maybe he maintains as a starter just because they might like him more as a, as a run blocker. But I do think that if you're going to be looking to protect your quarterback, you want to put either their Holder and Makari out there. Yeah, it's interesting because Fluker has played... I think it's two and a half good games and two separate halves that have been just utterly terrible at right tackle. So when he's been good, he's been very good. When he's been terrible, he's been utterly awful. I'm I'm tempted to blame a lot of this on T.J. Watt. I want to believe that that's the case. Um, He looked terrible in the rain at New England for the snaps he played at right tackle. So bad they had to replace him with McCary in the second half. Yeah, and that's why I thought maybe Makari would be the guy who has a chance to come back. Now that he's come off the COVID list, um, he might be given that first shot at playing right tackle because he looked pretty good in that, in that small um, sample size. Um, he was uh, offensive tackle in college as well, so he has experience playing 
um, outside. And then, and then Holden, we also saw play pretty well. So I don't know who's going to be the starter in, the, in this week. I think every single week it's, it's offensive line roulette outside of, <laughs> outside of the left side. So it could be a new, new combination every week moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely a possibility. I think you're right that it's probably rotational play is probably in their future. Let's move on to quarterback here, and I want to talk a little bit about these guys, but frankly, I don't want to talk a lot about them because they're they're now, I don't think what we can project from McSorley is particularly relevant based on six pass attempts, and I don't think what we can project based on Griffin is particularly meaningful given the fact he's now on IR. So, uh, you know, it's just, we're at this point. Watching Griffin play that game, he does not present a credible threat to all areas on the football field. And that's what the Ravens need more than anything is they need to be able to spread out opposing defenses in a way that they still have to play a safety high and not bring everybody down into the box, that they still need to consider those wide receivers as actual targets and not somebody who's just a decoy on every play. Uh, And and it's too hard for the Ravens to fully block up an eight-man box uh, regularly to get regular offensive gains. You can get occasional gains against an eight-man box, especially they overplay. It's definitely definitely possible to break through and get a big gain, but it's it's just hard to continuously do. Yeah, so I've been hard on Robert Griffin basically since last year because I thought that he didn't look great as the backup for the Ravens. And I was a little surprised that they didn't try to find someone in this offseason to, to maybe give him you know, at least uh, a push, um, maybe have someone to come in that could actually um, take over that, that role potentially. But I think that Griffin was kept in that role because he's a veteran. He's a leader. He's a locker room leader, um, maybe as a, as a mentor for Lamar Jackson. Um, but in the end, you need to be able to play the quarterback position. And I don't think that he does that well enough to actually to be a real backup in the NFL. Now, I will also say, his running ability in this game is what kept the Ravens in it. Oh yeah. Um, he still has some wheels. He still has the ability to pick up some chunk yardage. And if without that, they were really dead in the water. So we'll give him credit for when where credits do. He was able to, you know, make some big plays with his legs, pick up a few first downs, pick up that one, you know, long chunk play. Um, so, you know, good job on that. But in terms of a passer, it really left a lot to be desired. Right. Very, very difficult circumstances that we talked about with the pressure being fairly constant. Uh, you know, the, the fairly lame separation for most of the day. Obviously, uh, Bryant had, had a very ineffective day. We can talk about that a little bit later. But uh, I want to go back to what you said about Griffin as the backup quarterback, because he is kind of the ultimate role player in terms of being whatever voice the Ravens need him to be. He's been a terrific mentor to Jackson. We've said this, but if you've ever seen the guy at the podium, he's one of the most intelligent people you'll ever hear speak. Um, he's just he's, he's clearly a very intelligent guy, very centered in terms of uh, you know what the team needs him to be. They understand that. And then occasionally he'll go on these segments with the lounge where they're, you know, ask him to reach inside a box or ask him questions about the first album he owned and stuff like that. And he knows exactly how to play that, you know, in terms of sacrificing himself on the altar of dignity and talking about how the Spice Girls album was the first one he ever owned kind of thing. He's, he's, a, he's a natural clown for the camera when he needs to be. He's a natural, you know, very uh, adroit public speaker. You know, when he needs to be that, and, and I guarantee you the players 
respond to that well in the locker room and respond to his mentorship. So from that perspective, there's so many reasons to like who Robert Griffin is as a person and a backup quarterback. I think that maybe speaks more to why they have kept him around. I I 100% agree with that. And, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to keeping him around in some function, maybe not even as a player, but, you know, as some kind of, Hmm. you know, asset. I'm not sure what he wants to do with the rest of his career, but you could bring him in as a coach, as, you know, assistant quarterback coach, something along those lines. I think that that would be a perfect role for him. But I just don't think that he has the necessary skills to be a true backup quarterback. And I think that that's something that we saw you know, we've seen we've seen for years now. It's it's not something that he's he's been very good at as a backup or as a starter, frankly, since you know probably second season in the NFL. Well, that's fair enough. And and you know, if you're Robert Griffin and your thought was, you know, maybe your scale of confidence in ever becoming a starter again, which you know is something he's mentioned, was 30 before the game, before this particular game, the combination of the play demonstrated and the injury has got to have him thinking very seriously about the rest of his, how long the rest of his career may be in the NFL as a quarterback. And he has tremendous amount to add as a, as a coach. I'm in agreement with you. I just don't think he's going to make $10 million again as a quarterback in this league. Yeah. I, I think that his, his role in that position as a, even a backup is, is probably very limited at this point. All right. So what else we have to talk about here? We're talking about McSorley. Uh, the big stat, of course, from him is that he threw six passes, completed two of them, and has the highest passer rating in the entire NFL right now. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so thank you, Hollywood Brown, for you know beating uh, Edmonds, I guess it was, on that play for, for the big play. Uh, I, there's nothing, I didn't see anything from McSorley that I particularly liked as either a runner or a passer. And I'm, I'm very afraid of him being the starter going in against Dallas. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure what he brings to the table aside from maybe some ability. We saw him, he scrambled one pickup before that, that long mm-hmm. uh, touchdown pass that was, you know, basically had the, the C part in front of him and he was able to pick up like 12 yards, which was, you know, a nice play. He has some athleticism, but I don't think he's someone who is going to consistently be able to make, plays with his legs even to the extent that griffin can um he just doesn't have that same speed i don't think um you know as a passer he almost threw an interception he should have thrown an interception it was dropped mm-hmm. um the, the touchdown i think was you know a lucky play obviously he did throw the ball probably where it belonged to go um it probably should have been a 15 yard completion um but you know brown turned into touchdown so that sometimes you get away with that but it wasn't by any means a, a, a great play. And I think that he's someone who maybe you keep around on the roster to kind of be a, a gadget guy, but I'm not sure what his future is. Right. And it, 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 they've gotten away from this, obviously, but the talk was originally that he'd be a third string quarterback, special teams player, gadget guy. And, and, you know, this all purpose utility knife value would be there. The Ravens have too many good gunners at this point to consider McSorley in any way. And at this point, there's no way you'd have him on special teams when he's your number two quarterback at this. And, you know, I I shudder to say he might be the number one quarterback going into that Dallas game if they can't get Lamar activated. Yeah, that's going to be a rough situation if if Jackson is not available because then you really are just limiting yourself to to a run-first offense um, almost completely, I think, um, because, you know, he might drop back 15, 20 times, but it's not going to be pretty. He'd be lucky to complete, you know, 30% 30% of his passes, I, I would suggest. 
Right. So uh, one thing the Ravens did do in this game a little bit is use max protection. So they had four times they did it this game. They did it five times last game. I thought that that would be something that would really help Jackson in particular with opposing teams playing zone defense because it doesn't really matter how many men you have in the pattern against zone defense. It's really more relevant against man defense that people get bracketed and then you you know one guy takes out two kind of thing in man coverage. But when you have zone coverage, you know you if the guy can find the the, the spot in the zone where the coverage isn't. You can he can make one catch in the middle of five guys. Sometimes you'll see. Yeah, they they haven't really done very many max protects with Jackson, and and they've they've dialed up a couple where they look for some shot plays, um, and I think for the most part they haven't really worked out this year, um, but I I do think that it's something that you could, you know, find somebody on a on a shorter route or do like a comeback, mm-hmm. um, maybe even design a, a kind of a screen out of something like that or a slow developing screen. Um, I think there's definitely some options to work with, um, but keeping you know keeping Jackson clean I think will allow him to to find the the right receiver a lot of the time but unfortunately there haven't been a lot of you know opportunities for him to to really stand in the pocket cleanly for like he was able to do last year I think on a, on a more regular basis yeah that's that's true and Max Protect will of course help the amount of time he has to spend the pocket you spend you send four against seven the the, the theory would be that you, you should have no trouble blocking that up for starters hopefully you don't but but Additionally, once the play is in motion and Jackson can extend it from two and a half to four or five seconds, which can often happen on, on you know seven versus four protection schemes, you may be able to get that trickle out play. And you kind of yeah. mentioned it with the screenplay, but it's it's really it's getting that 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 late release that the 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 zone defense has already collapsed on the couple of receivers in the pattern or the three receivers in the pattern probably and and they then give you a lot of field to work with and Jackson is is particularly good at extending that and it would be I think also particularly good if the if the spy is drawn to Jackson's side of the field to go back against that so I think there's all kinds of schematic reasons why it could work I just I I don't think the Ravens have tried it enough to really know that it won't work yet yeah I think that's probably true I I mean I can probably count on one hand how many times the, the Ravens have done max protect this year yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I, I, I can tell you, it's been five times and four times in these last two games. So it's not zero, but they don't use it a lot. It's definitely true. Let's let's move on a little bit. I want to talk about some scheme things. Uh, well, okay. One one more thing about the quarterbacks. One of the things I liked about the end of the half, which I didn't really didn't really get talked about, is that the Ravens had two plays called in the huddle. They got screwed. There's no doubt about it. This flag should have been thrown. They should have been half the distance. They you know, should have had an opportunity to huddle up and, and, and try a different play. But they had two plays called in the huddle because they knew they didn't have a timeout. So the first one was that, uh, I guess, the, the play that got them to the one yard was a three-yard run, was it? Or Yeah, yeah. from, and from Hill. They, from Hill. And then, and then they, you know, they piled up, and they're all playing twister at the bottom of the pile with each other to make sure it's hard to untangle that pile. And then they, they finally get him up and they get the snap off with about four seconds left. And they had that tight end fade route called. It's too bad the Steelers were all over it because it looked like it was actually pretty well designed in terms of, of uh, getting Wilson an opportunity. Also, the ball was not out quite quickly enough. Yeah, that was unfortunate. I'm, I was a little more upset with that play calling because I think you can do it the other way around. I think you can call a pass play there on second down and then you have more options on on their mm-hmm. third down play. 
um, you can get, still pass it. You can probably still run it, probably. Um, well, you probably don't want to run it on third down. But I don't know. I just think that gives you a better opportunity to definitively get the chance for three points. And in the end, it probably doesn't matter if they get that three points or not. But I do think not having that ability, even though it was probably incorrectly called by the officials in that situation, you don't necessarily know what's going to happen when you run the ball into the middle of a line with, with 20 players there. And you, you have, what, about 20-some seconds, I think, at that point? 22 seconds, maybe, to get two plays off? In theory, you should be able to do that. If something goes wrong like it did, then you then you kind of get screwed. And right. it's, it's just a, a situation where you could have done it differently. Maybe you come away with points there. Maybe you come away with a touchdown. I can't I can't criticize it too badly because I think they should have had a touchdown anyway. Um, if, if Wilson just holds on to the ball, it's, it is a touchdown. But I, I still I still think that there's probably a little bit of room to to criticize that play call just because you really put yourself at disadvantage when you when you don't allow that much time on the on the clock. Okay, so it's second and one at the one with 26 seconds, just so we yeah. have the have the scenario right. So you could go pass pass run or pass pass kick. Those are the two obvious ways with no timeouts to try and get that done. You can't take a sack, obviously, but you can go pass, pass, run, or, or pass, pass, kick. And if you get two incompletes, you still have the opportunity to, to get that in. You know, this is very reminiscent of the Super Bowl and, and you know, Marshawn Lynch <laughs> not being used. It kind of the argument goes in the other direction in that case, but it's, uh, it's the, the interception at the goal line is a, was, a, was a strange case in the in the pace of the Patriots in Seattle Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean maybe even do something like a, a bootleg, you know, like a rollout and you, you have like an RPO option on it. Like something like that where you have the ability to still maybe get into the end zone with 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 Griffin's feet and then but you can also have the ability to pass it or throw it away if it's not there. So that's the kind of thing I would like to see there. Um, you know what it it went out, went down the way it did and I think that there's a lot of things that can be griped about the way it happened but um, in the end, I, I don't think that's what cost the Ravens the game. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they, they were outplayed otherwise, so it was what it was. Uh, a little bit of scheme stuff, and I, we want to c- kind of catch up on the pace here a little bit, so I'm going to go real quickly here. I think they ran the ball out of necessity in this game. Obviously, a, a very poor pass-blocking matchup at several places along the offensive line, at left guard, at center, and at right tackle. They were not in good shape to pass-block in this game. And even though Brown had a good game at left tackle, which is normally a spot where you, where you might have some difficulty, uh, they had too many other mismatches along that Pittsburgh front for them to really try much passing. And they, they got committed to the run game because of that. I think going into Dallas, I think we'll see that again uh, if, if the Ravens have McSorley at quarterback. Yeah, I think they'll kind of have to, like you said, out of necessity. And, and unlike Pittsburgh, I think Dallas can actually be exploited in the run game. They don't have the same types yes. of of players up front that can, you know, con- continuously stuff run plays for one zero negative yardage. Um, that's something that really kept the Ravens from having a cohesive offense because they couldn't actually get into, you know, third and short kind of situations where you can run the ball and keep the chains moving. They just didn't have that opportunity. It was third and long all game. Yeah, I completely agree. And Dallas, Dallas is very weak up front, much weaker than the Ravens have been, even with all their injuries. Uh, you know, still have Ellis and Wolf. That's that's pretty good defensive players, frankly, in the middle that they can present. The, the, the Cowboys 
are, are so injured on the inside. They're, they're in a lot worse shape than the Ravens. So the Ravens are not the only team suffering with the December depth right now there. A uh, couple things. Brown, he had the big play that got the Ravens back into the game, but Marquise Brown had seven targets for 15 yards before the final Ravens offensive play when, they, when he got hit for the 70-yard touchdown. Nothing against him. I want to see him do more to be elusive after the catch. I think he benefited from Edmonds being way over-aggressive at a time where there was no reason for it. But I, I, I want to see more of that. I want to see more of attempts to get make yak plays from Brown as opposed to attempts to not take hits. I think there's a, there's a distinction there. I don't want him to take unnecessary big hits, but I do want him to try and take some more elusive moves, even to give up a yard in the hope of investing to make a large yak play. Yeah, you know, this is something that Jordan and I talked a little bit about in, in the situation room. And we, we talked about how the Ravens use Hollywood Brown. And they they do target him. They, I mean, they try to get him involved in, in the passing game. Um, and this is a good example of that. They, they got him on some specific short routes where they tried to get him the ball. The first play of the game, for instance, you know, it was it was a design play for Brown. He picked up, you know, five yards, not a bad play on, on first down. Um, but I think where he kind of is deficient is his ability to run through contact or play through contact because it seems like he doesn't break tackles. He can be elusive at times and avoid getting tackled, but he's not someone who's going to run through contact. And that's something that you really kind of want from your wide receiver. I think Duvernay, for instance, has that ability to kind of be strong and powerful through the contact. It's not Mm -hmm. something that Brown really possesses. You know, he has the speed to make players miss in the open field for sure, but he doesn't have that, you know, strength. And I think that's something that we'd like to see him gain as he progresses as a Ravens wide receiver. Completely agree. I couldn't, it's, it's extremely well stated. And in a lot of cases, I think getting Brown the football, the guy you want him to be making miss is the last defender, as it was in this case with Terrell Edmonds. He's the last one who had a reasonable shot to get him. After that, it was just him playing off the back of, of Micah Fitzpatrick down that right sideline. He needs, he needs opportunities like that where it's only one defender that he has to, be, to make miss to you know, make a very big play. And that's, that's where these, these five-yard plays, they aren't going to ever cut him. The notion that he could ever be a slot receiver is probably flawed for multiple reasons, but one of them is this, this whole play-through contact and breaking tackles component. All right, let's move on here. Uh, the tight ends, mentioned real quickly, uh, they badly missed Boyle, Ricard, and Andrews, obviously, in this game. Uh, Boyle's, there's no crying over spilled milk at this point, but Ricard and Andrews both on the COVID list. Uh, Andrews, they missed him as a PA threat just uh, you know, for what play action would have done for the running game in this game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not having a viable tight end um, is a real damper for this offense. I think it's going to be an issue moving forward next week too, because they're not going to have Andrews back for that game either. So he's someone who's, you know, he's a major cog, um, not only like you said in the play action, but he also will draw a lot of attention um, on non-play action passes as well, and and that allows the other wide receivers to to get open. Um, he without, especially without Boyle, um, it's just there's just not that threat on when when you when you try to you know show that run. Um, you just don't have the ability to to kind of you know make the defense buy it. So it's it's going to be tough moving forward without Boyle. Andrews is someone you know the Ravens are going to have down the stretch hopefully, but he's 
he's going to be he's going to be missed in the, in the coming week, I think. Right. So that's a, obviously a very big loss this next game that they'll have to look forward to and and uh, make up for somehow. Uh, and it's very it's honestly very difficult to see at this point how they'll be done. Wilson's going to have to play, I think, a big role again in, in terms of this next game. Uh, and, and honestly, he needs to do more as a receiver. Uh, there's one guy I want to talk about in terms of the individual skill position players, and that's Des Bryant. Uh, did not have an effective game. 32 snaps, two targets, zero receptions. He's now, I think, been targeted seven times this year for 28 yards. And I hate to say it, but that's pretty much exactly what the Ravens should have expected. Now, I know he didn't have a, a great opportunity set with what he had to face in terms of Pittsburgh's pressure on the quarterback creating off-target throws for him. But he's also not getting tons of separation here either. And it's not he's not bringing that other element to the game that Boykin brings as a pass blocker. So I just I looked at this and I'm saying, you know, this is disappointing that Des Bryant is not if he's if he's going to be used this often, he better get some catches. Yeah, I think that oh, sorry, I have a ambulance in my background. Um I think that he had one route where he slipped on the route and looked like he was actually open for the mm-hmm. for the reception if he hadn't fallen down. So, you know, that's that's a little unfortunate. And then there was another play where I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. It might have been some underneath route that went to somebody else, but I think he actually beat his guy and it was open deep. Um and the ball just didn't go his way. But for the most part, you don't see him separating on film. He's not someone who's who's making a difference when he's out there. He's not out there that frequently. But I think, you know, he might be someone who you can kind of use as a possession guy in certain instances, um, but I, I just don't see him being uh, any kind of consistent threat in, in this offense that the Ravens can count on. Yeah, it's, Jordan has come out very specifically and said that he doesn't want to hear how good a blocker Boykin is from me. So I've been on the show here recently, and he says this. But I'm telling you, it is a consideration. And if you've got a bunch of receivers who are having trouble catching the football, there's no reason why Des Bryant should be taking snaps away from Boykin, who can block, and Duvernay, who can catch and make something happen after the catch. Yeah, blocking matters for the Ravens, in, in when, especially when they, the way they run the ball with, with Jackson on outside – a good block from a wide receiver can turn a five-yard run into a 20-yard run or a touchdown. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it makes a huge difference. Um, and I think that's something that, that Boykin does exceptionally well, like, like you've mentioned. And and while he doesn't really present himself as, as a great receiving threat, I do think he could be more involved in the passing game. I, I, I don't love the fact that he's not really someone who's going to generate separation and man coverage, but you can use his speed. Um, I think you can use him in certain types of routes, like, like a comeback, like, like a hitch. You can get him some quick, you know, five, 10 yard routes and pick up some easy yardage with him. And I don't think that they, they've really gone to him very often. They, they tried to at the beginning of the season and kind of just like been allergic to passing to him down the stretch. Mm-hmm. All right. Is there any player you'd like to bring up for individual notes here from this game? Um, in terms of skill position, guys, I do think that Justice Hill showed a few things. Overall, he wasn't greatly exciting. Um, he definitely showed the ability to make players miss. He had a nice catch and run on one play. I think he picked up about 11 yards. Um, that was that was a nice play. I thought he made a guy miss in the open field. Um, kind of drug another guy for a couple more yards. 
And then obviously he had that one long run where he kind of broke like three or four tackles. Um, mm-hmm. It was really impressive. It's it, it a, it a play we talked about as well in the situ- situation room. And I made the comment that I think that play goes for minus two yards if Mark Ingram's given the ball because, you know, Watt was right there in the backfield and, and Hill just made a miss. And then, you know, he showed that burst. He showed that explosiveness. He showed that balance through contact to be able to pick up an additional five, seven yards after he was should have honestly gone down from what was, you know, a, a solid tackle attempt. But I'm not sure if that's something that we can consistently get from him. He really needs to have the ability to get to some type of open space to use his explosiveness. He does have good short area burst, but I think that he's not someone you can really rely on to be a consistent threat in the run game. Um, and he hasn't really shown enough as a pass pass catcher yet either. So I think his role is going to be limited moving forward, but I do like some of the things I've seen from him. Ravens running backs in this game, 17, aside from that 19 yard carry by Hill, had 17 carries for 26 yards in this game. That's not getting it done. Obviously, Gus had nine for 10. Very tough day in terms of being first contact in the backfield, an awful lot. Uh, Hill was uh, honestly similar except for that 19-yard run. He had eight for 16 otherwise, so he had a lot of the same difficulty escaping the backfield on some stretch plays. Uh, it's it's obviously very frustrating, and it starts with getting the offensive line healthy again uh, uh, to match up with some of the better defensive lines in the league, and this is obviously the best uh, of the best in that category. Yeah, it was definitely, you know, a rough day in the offense, in the office. Um, the offensive line didn't do the, the running backs many favors in this one. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Fair enough. James Prochet has got his third target of the year, and he's, he caught one, and the other two have gone for pick sixes to the Steelers, Sp- Spillane and Hayden. So an unfortunate set of circumstances there, but the Steelers run – a lot of gadget coverages where an outside cornerback jumps an inside route, and they've twice caught Prochet on on similar plays. Uh, well, you know, once with Hayden and once with Spillane, actually an inside linebacker doing the doing the same game. Yeah, and that's also I think on the quarterback, especially this time. Um, it looks like Griffin should have seen that player. He was, it was right in his line of vision. I'm not sure how he missed it, but that's that's not a throw that should have been made. Very, very much agree. Josh, what do we have in the mailbag today? All right. We got an active mailbag today. Um, all right. So we kind of covered this at the beginning, but Minion Hunter is doing the 10 days, three days. That puts Lamar at 12. So how do you feel about McSorley starting? You clearly said <laughs> you don't see it as good. Um, do you feel better about McSorley than the guy the Broncos put out this past weekend? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. Slight, slightly a better. A practice squad wide receiver as opposed to a guy who's, who's played a fair amount of preseason quarterback. Yes, I'll take the preseason quarterback. All right. Um, all right. All these guys that came up, we asked the same question with yesterday with the defense. Who stands out on this team? Who was your highlight on the offense of these practice squad guys making their debut? You know, on the offense, I'm going to pick Ben Powers as the guy I think who made a really good case. And Colon Castillo would be right there with him. Uh, who would you say, Gabe? I was going to say Colon Castillo. I think, you know, he definitely showed that he has, you know, something there. There's, there's a reason why, why the Ravens wanted to keep him around. All right. Well, that leads right into the next question about him. And do you think he is the future center for this team 
as well as we'll combine it with another question of, are any of these guys <laughs> the future Ravens? So I, I think we covered this a little bit earlier, but the Ravens are going to have a decision coming up this offseason with Matt Skura, who will be a free agent. And they have additional options now. In fact, they have a lot of guys who look like they are fairly natural centers between McCary, Colon Casillo, and Bredesen that I think they wouldn't need to draft one and they could let Skura go if that was the way they decided to go, uh, provided people look fairly good down the stretch, I'm going to say. Yeah, I think I would just, I would say if I had to put like a percentage on it, I would say Colon Castillo has the highest odds, in my opinion, of being the long-term center for the Ravens out of any of those three players. How about the rest of this year? I think he will continue playing center for the Ravens this year. That, that, that's my guess. So where would where do you think the Ravens will put McCary when he comes back? So I think he'll continue to play either right tackle um, or they might move him into right guard because he, he's been decent in right guard as well. Okay. I think McCary at, at right tackle presents a lot of problems in, in terms of uh, effectively defending an edge rusher, but we'll see. He does have uh, length well, issues. Yeah. Well, the question is not in the future. It's this week as McCary and Skura both come on yes. uh, this week. All right. Now, here's my – Dirk gets my favorite question of the week because I feel like if my dad had Twitter, this is the question is he would Dirk send Schwenk? every week. It is. Okay. And it's simply, why don't we use more screens? <laughs> you know, it's you know, part of it is you need to actually have the ability to set up that screen. But the second part is that when you face zone defense all the time, screens are not going to be as effective. So you, you, you throw the ball outside, and sure, you get the linemen out of the play, but all those defensive backs are looking right at the play. The linebackers who are in short area zone are able to get to their spots more regularly. And then, of course, sometimes the defensive end also is not fooled, the edge rusher on that side. And he realizes there's some sort of game being played and immediately you know, sugs us out of there into the appropriate space to uh, beat the screen pass. Yeah, I would also say that the Ravens just don't have much athleticism on the offensive line. And that's something that you really look for when you're going to be a team that runs a lot of screen plays because you need that kind of ability to get out in space, find someone to block, and allow you know the, the running back or the wide receiver um, to kind of make some plays. Um, and the Ravens don't necessarily have those guys that are, are really capable in, in, that, in that extent. Is, is it fair to say they're a much better wide receiver screen team than a running back screen team because they have a tight end and, you know, a, a big wide receiver like Boykin who can make very effective blocks, I think, on, on wide receiver screens? Yeah, we, we have seen that a few times this year, and it's been more effective than, I think, the screens um, attempts to running backs because we have seen um, Andrews and Boyle both get out there and, and screen for uh, Duvernay a couple times. Um, I think he's been pretty effective in that, in that role, and I think you know, we might see a little bit more of that as, as the season progresses, but um, I wouldn't expect too much. For the, the Ravens just don't do much screens. It's something that they've lacked for years. And, but it's something that Raven fans will always ask for because we get hurt by the screens. Yes. Yeah, well, it's, it's a, also it's the a... Ravens' defense because <laughs> they yes. blitz all the time. Right. The aggressiveness is why people screen against the Ravens. And, and thanks for the question, Dirk. I didn't mean to mention your name in that kind of a sarcastic tone. He's a loyal, longtime listener that we love. Thank you, Dirk. And it could have been anyone that asked that question. Dirk just happened to ask it this <laughs> week. It's a regular question. So, all right. Uh, 
Gabe, you hopped on immediately after the game and knocked out the Situation Room this week. What else do you have going on, and what's your Twitter that people can give you a follow? Yeah, we we, we, we try to do these uh, Situation Rooms um, right after the game for the most part. Um, we really want to you know get it out there and, and put our put our stamp on what we think is going on and, and what happened in the game. So, you know, we're really interested in just looking at you know some of the major plays in the game. Um, Sometimes it's you know really key plays that that turn the game. Sometimes it's just an interesting play that we think is something to look out for moving forward. Sometimes it's a few plays that are in the same kind of mold, something that's new, a new wrinkle that the Ravens put in that we think is interesting. So um, you know that's what we want to do. Um, we like to, you know Jordan and I, Jordan Co, my the co-host. We we like to have some banter back and forth. We you know we talk about what happened. We look back on the previous game. We look forward a little bit. Um, but, you know, it's just a lot of fun. Um, I'm also on Twitter. I like to talk about the Ravens a lot, um, at Gabe Fergie. And you can definitely follow me there. And um, I do write over at Baltimore Sports and Life. I do a, a preview article um, before the games. So um, I'm, I'm, I write there about, you know, twice a month. So I'll, I'll be posting those on my on my Twitter as well. All right, and you guys have that West Coast advantage, which means it, it's overnight, basically, for me when you're recording the show, but it means I get to edit it on Monday morning and get it out there in a typical week. But how did you enjoy some lunchtime Wednesday football this week? So, unfortunately, I was at work and couldn't watch it. I tried to sneak out and listen to it in, in my car. Um, I didn't have the ability to watch the game until afterwards and, and watch it when I got home. Um, but I... Uh, you know, I, I definitely didn't miss too much this time around. So um, it's it's not it's not one that I'd want to go back and and watch too much of. Yeah. Oh, you but you got to you got to get ready for those future races. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a preseason game. Exactly. All right, Ken. Uh, busy weekend. We've got again got to shift everything as this came out on Saturday. So we've got know your foe coming out on Maybe Sunday. Sunday, yeah, you know what? Yes. I'm going to allow you to say the dates because I always talk about when we record it, and that's not what's important to people who listen. No. So I'm going to say the show, no, and you're going to say what day it'll be out. Right. So we have we have we'll have by the numbers that'll come out the day after Know Your Foe. So what day is that? That'll be, That'll Monday. be Monday after Sunday. That's good. Okay, uh, and still in time for a Tuesday game. So hopefully that's it's, yep. it's tight, but we're going to hopefully give you some good numbers that relate to that. And we'll have an offensive line article that'll come out. I think it'll be out tomorrow. It may not be out till Sunday, but it'll contain the the, the more detailed breakdowns of what we talked about here today. Uh, that was the bulk of the show. Appreciate you guys staying through with us, Gabe. Uh, you and Jordan are two of my favorite people to talk football with. So make sure you give them a listen on the Situation Room. Tag Gabe at Gabe Fergie on Twitter with your general questions. You always tag me. That's cool. But tag Gabe also and let him respond to the question. He also is reading my feed, of course, so he'll he'll be able to, to answer that question. But if you tag him directly, it kind of puts the onus on him to answer that question as well. Also, one thing about Twitter etiquette here uh, is a small thing that, that I really feel is important is if you're asking a question, I'm happy to respond to it. If you're, if you're making a comment, I'm happy to give you a like. But I'm not going to try and respond to every single person who has a specific comment. So if you really are trying to ask me a question, ask a question if you want to do that. How do you feel about that, Gabe? Is that the way you look at it when you... Yeah, you know, that's, that's a good point because, you know, I really enjoy inter- interacting with people on Twitter. You probably have more opportunities to do that than, than I do. Um, but sometimes you don't know if someone's just fishing for, 
for interaction, mm -hmm. or sometimes it's it's you know some, they just want to make a comment. So I think having that question mark really allows you to know do they do you want to you know have some discourse back and forth, or is it, are you just trying to make a point? So I think there's right. definitely a, a distinguishment there. All right. So over on Film Study Baltimore, busy week. You also got the articles out, or the off offense article is out, or defense article is out. Offense is coming That's this right. weekend. So. Going over there, the situation room, defensive breakdown, offensive breakdown out now. Uh, know your foe, buy the numbers coming Sunday and Monday. Uh, go subscribe to Session 336 as well because that will be there Tuesday morning for you because the Orioles had a pretty busy week this week as in cutting salaries and getting even lower. What do you make of that? So hey, of a lot of Iglesias go. I, I don't like it, but I've, it's one of those moves where – you're bringing in two young pitchers, which is good. So let's wait and see. Um, Deadspin, which I hate, had a great article today about how the Orioles could spend about another. Right now they're at like 40 million, and they could spend another 30 to 40 million, still be well under 100 million, and have a playoff team. Well, and 25 million so of that is Chris Davis, right? Or 23 million? Yeah, it's Chris Davis, Alex Cobb, and someone yeah. else. Yeah. It's not much. But so I'm interested to see what they do next because fans want to get excited because we weren't in last place with the COVID year. Mm -hmm. And that's good. That means we should be going up. Every move they made this week goes in the opposite direction. So we'll wait and see. But that's what I'm saying. Lots, of that, lots that Matt and I will talk about on this week's 336. Now's the time to get on board with the Orioles because we can only Here, here's my mailbag question for 336 is and you don't have to answer it right now is Adley Rutschman on the opening day roster next year or does he come up mid-season or do they keep him in the minor leagues the entire season answer it then you know it's the first first time I've heard that question <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's the question every week uh -huh. that somehow a conversation has to get into that so uh, I think he's on the opening day roster but all the moves this week would tell me no okay so we'll see all right Lots of content for you. Get ready for Tuesday, and we will talk soon. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.